It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. People just want to know why, Charlie. Why, why did uh, why did my daughter have to die? Why did my son die or my husband or whatever the case may be? Well, look, uh, your son died. Basically, now we've found out that he was involved with drugs. The parents know, you know what? At least he knows an answer. He wasn't just randomly picked. And, and they're the hard ones. I suppose the random ones are the hardest yeah. ones. And people say, well, what are the toughest cases? And, and they're all tough because you're dealing with people's lives and um, the impact that has. And, and basically, the buck stops with you. It's really the defenceless ones that really... You know, strike a chord, the babies, um, the elderly. Charlie Bazina, who was in the Victoria Police for over 30 years, and he was one of the lead investigators in the Homicide Squad for 17. During that time, he investigated some of Victoria's most high-profile murders, from serial killers Peter Dupas and Paul Denyer, to the so-called society murders in which mild-mannered Matthew Wales killed his wealthy mother and stepfather. Charlie was also a lead investigator during Melbourne's gangland wars. Those are the ones that inspired the Underbelly series. We'll hear more about that later on in the show. There were frustrating failures as well, though, obviously. I mean, you can't win them all. Charlie failed to get a conviction after cricket legend David Hooks was killed by a bouncer's punch. He was unable to identify the pedophile the media called Mr Cruel or to locate the remains of Sarah McDermott, who disappeared into thin air after catching a late-night train home, leaving nothing but a bloody handprint on the door handle of her car. Although he left the force some six years ago, Charlie likes to keep abreast of what's going on around the place. For example, he has some interesting views on the Apex Gang, the multi-ethnic group of young men who've been terrorising suburban Melbourne with robberies and home invasions of late. They're views that I may not agree with, but I haven't edited them out because I think, uh, at the very least, Charlie deserves to have his views known. All of that to come on the Nitty Gritty Committee, Stories of the Guts and the Glory of Life. I'm Michelle Laurie. Stay tuned. Well, OK, you're on that phone two or three in the morning. You start the investigation happening. And you know that, okay, and the things you're driving to the crime scene, the things going through your head. Mm. And then, you know, and then I say to people, okay, you've got to let the crime scene tell you the story. Yeah. I'd walk into a crime scene, you're, you're in defence barrister mode. Okay, let's look at it. Um, how can I connect the offender to this, per, to this crime scene? And the first thing that answer the question would lead you to some motive. Why would someone want to kill this particular person? Mm. And a lot of times it's, you start with the body and you work your way out. Bigger circles say the family are all persons of interest. You eliminate the family. Okay, their social circles, their work circles and the likes. And invariably you might find, more often than not, there's someone is connected that knows, the offender knows the deceased or the deceased knows the offender in some way. You know, in the relationships we build with deceased families, um, that, uh, you know, the journey starts, it's a probably two, three-year journey you stay with them. And by the time you, if you get a good, a quick solve, by the time it goes to trial, the wheels of justice move quite slowly, unfortunately. And so you're just keeping them updated as to, um, I guess, the likelihood of getting a conviction? Is that what you're doing? Well, you know, you, you prepare them because yeah, the right. justice system is so finic, finical. Uh, you, you say to them, well, look, you know, we've got 12 strangers in that jury box to convince that uh, this person uh, murdered your daughter beyond reasonable doubt. Mm. Uh, and, and you're right. Most of us have no idea how that process works. So... 
you're going to be there to, to guide me through it. That's right. And uh, they cling to you because you yeah. just imagine, uh, first thing, you, people don't have much to do with police often apart from being a, a traffic fine or whatever the case may be. But to get a homicide detective knocking on your door and saying, you know what, it was bad news for you. And, and sitting down with deceased families, a man of times I've sat down with families in their lounge rooms and you say to them, look, you know, I'll be honest with you as much as I can. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to soften it uh, because if you don't be honest with them from the get-go, they're going to find out at the trial and your whole credibility is down the chute. So after processing the crime scene, you spend hours and hours and then your next step is going to um, going to the family's home and saying and, and trying to tell them, well, look, if it's an unsolved, we're going to do everything we can to solve it. Um, and unlike the movies, um, whereas, you know, the movies you see them dealing with one case. One particular year, I had 14 homicides that I was dealing with in one year. Uh, and that's not counting the trials that were happening and this type of stuff. So ultimately, we had a good clearance rate. Well, we had over, you know, probably the low 90% clearance of, of solve uh, in, in my time. And... And then going to courts and that type of thing, and then ultimately, you know, even when we we get acquittals, the family know because you, you, the relationship you have with them, they know you've done one hundred and ten percent. And after the, if it's an acquittal, you go and have a beer with them after the court, and they sit down with you, and uh, you know, and it's uh, you know you've done a great job. You can't dwell on it. People say, doesn't the, doesn't the, these acquittals affect you, or or, or it, it does, it does, it it does, but you know full well you've done one hundred and twenty percent. And uh, you've delivered to the family. And the family know that. Uh, but that's a system we, look, we live under. And that's what we work with. And now the community are better educated. And you always work on the premise that you're going to get a no comment a, a, a interview. So you've got to get your evidence. So unlike in the 70s when I joined, you relied on the confession. Prior to me leaving, it was basically us building a case around the offender. It was that nexus. We had to put the offender in that crime scene. How do we do that? Fingerprints, DNA, witnesses. So what changed? What's changed about Australian people that in the 70s a criminal might confess, could be relied upon to a certain degree to confess, and now you can't rely on that? Well, they're better educated. They know their rights even more, you know, because there's a lot of bluff in our day where, you know, a policeman would stop you in the street two or three in the morning and, you know, what's your name and address? Oh, well, it's uh, so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. Now... The kids will say, the kids will say today, under 18, they'll say, well, uh, I don't have to give you my name and address. Uh, I don't have to say anything. Am I under arrest? No, I'm not. Well, I'll keep on walking. And that's the attitude they have. Yeah, right. So they'll challenge authority all the time. And, and basically, you know, I do a lot of talks at schools and corporate uh, functions. And you say to them, uh, to the kids, for example, said, there's always going to be rules at home. There's rules at school. There's rules in society. And you've mm. got to abide by them. But they, they're taking on all the time. They're challenging you all the time. And We've gone a transition in the period with policing, for example, in the seventies. You know, police were feared yeah. in those days. Yeah, uh, and with that's, good reason too. There, there was some police violence, wasn't absolutely. there? Absolutely. Was, oh yeah, absolutely. And an amount and of I, untouchability about yeah, police. In yeah, those fabrication days. of evidence yes. and the likes and assaults. Well, anyone who's going to take that that uh, that, that attitude of late, well, you're going to do your career. You're going to look at jail. So it's all done by the book, and that was. That's the thing with us as, as investigators, senior investigators, it's done by the book. And people say, well, for example, uh, in our cases where it's obvious that, um, that a loved one has, has been the perpetrator, and the community look at us and say, what are you idiots waiting for? You know, it's, it's, uh, it's the husband who's did it. And then you're going to say, well, hang on a minute, what are you alleged you've got to prove? But uh, once you charge someone and they get acquitted, well, it's never going, no going back in those days. Mm. So you have to be pretty sure about your facts. And, you know, and I say to a lot of people, there's no time limit on murder mm. where we solve it today. And they've had some good solves on cold cases, for example, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, the, the uh, evolution of the DNA process getting better and better and what they can extract. So, you know, nothing gave us greater pleasure to knock on someone's door at two or three in the morning and say, we've just locked up someone for your, for your son's murder, for example. And that gave us the, that, that thrill for us. You know, we've yeah. done a good job. Then that's the first step. The next step is to get a conviction, to give them answers. And end of the day, you know, there's a lot more innocent, uh, guilty people walking the streets than there are innocent people in jail. That's how high the bar is that we had to get to. Yeah. Because you're right, we do live on, we're so um, overconfident with our own abilities these days, I think. I mean, the internet's full of crime solvers, amateur crime solvers yeah. and stuff. And I, I, when you were talking, I thought, geez, there's a lot of us who would have had Jill Ma's beautiful husband locked yeah, up. exactly. The day that we realised that she had been murdered, um, only to find out that there was this other perpetrator who'd been stalking the streets yeah, on and yeah. off for years. 
And that's why the courts take a very, very dim view of people taking the law in their own hands. Yeah. And uh, ultimately it is because it's what might appear the obvious. Uh, you then say, well, goodness me, it's, uh, it wasn't him at all. Geez, where'd that come from? I had no idea. We would have had, as you just said, you know, we would have had this, this bloke on the firing squad, basically. Mm. And so it is, it is a, a long-term stuff. And there's been cases that, that I've had. You, you know you're chasing a particular offender, and this guy, this guy fits the bill 100%. Uh, and then you find out it wasn't him at all. Mm. But you've just got to go slowly because once we place a hand on someone's shoulder and say, you're under arrest for murder, that's a massive call for us because ultimately it, it, it's us personally that are responsible for taking someone's liberty away from them. Yes. And I always say the two most significant things in a person that a person has is their life and their liberty. Yeah. You know, we investigate one and we take the other one away. Yeah. So that's pretty significant. And if we don't do it properly... The department steps back and say, you know what, you're on your own. Yes. You know, you, you get charged for false imprisonments in the civil suit, and then they'll charge the Victoria Police and the state government. So, so there's, got... there's still this remaining idea that cops look out for each other and all that, but you're saying, you know, woe betide you if you do uh, imprison someone who shouldn't be imprisoned. That's right. That's right. And the bar, that, that very, I can't see it happening because the bar is so high and being able to prove it. You know, the corruption days are well and truly gone. I'm going back in the 70s and the 60s. Yeah. You know, they had the, the Beach Royal Commission and that type of thing. And, and that really put the, the uh, constraints on, on police about what they can and can't do, about being double-checked and triple-checked and the likes. So, you know, even the time that I spend in internal investigations, uh, people, uh, you know, sort of say, well, you know, you are um, an internal investigator of, of corrupt police, but you know what? Given the fact that it was over 10,000, 15,000 police, uh, the corruption issue is, is minute, but you're going to get that in any organisation. Yeah. So the fact that you didn't police, um, you know, no one wants to be working next to a thief or someone who bashes someone. Yeah. Uh, they're going to be given up quick as a flash. So, you know, it's a very, very fine balance of what you're prepared to do just to get the result. And if it doesn't happen, you just move on to the next case and say, well, I just haven't got the evidence. You know, there's a couple of unsolved cases there and I'm, I'm 100% know who, who, who the offender is. But... I just haven't got the evidence. I just can't get part of that bar. And, you know, I had a love triangle where the, where the wife wanted to divorce the husband. I found out who the lover was. I could prove the affair. I could do all that. I could prove the motive. And I've just fell short. And, uh, you know, that's one that sort of sticks in your mind. Yeah. Quite basic one of a love triangle. It's so frustrating. It, it is. It what is. about if you think that that perpetrator, you can't prove their guilt, but you believe they could... Reoffend specifically, and I know you can't comment on this because this is a, a Western Australian case. Mm. The Claremont murders. Oh yeah, no Claremont. Right. Ones, yeah. So three three girls murdered. Yeah. Um, at least three uh, from the same place. The rumor I've heard for years and years is that the police know who the perpetrator is and have him under heavy surveillance, and he knows it, and that's why he's never reoffended. Do things like that happen? I mean, do you do the police keep an eye on someone they know is? a problem in the community, but they can't put him away? Look, realistically, they just don't have the resources. No. They don't. And whilst, you know, they, it's not as if they can put a tag on his ankle or anything in that regard, to be able to put someone under 24-hour, 24-7 surveillance, it, it doesn't happen. And no. that's the realistic terms. As much as you love to tell the, the community and say, you know, we do have the resources to do that, it, it, it doesn't happen. So ultimately, you know, you're innocent or proven guilty, and all, are, all investigators are are the collectors of facts. It is up to the court to decide innocence or guilt. So we present the facts. So we just fall short of being able to prove an offence. Well, we move on to the next case and say, well, okay, we're mindful of that person. If we get a similar type murder or yeah. a similar armed robbery or similar rape or a similar child abduction, you say, right, let's have a look at this guy. Same as an ar- arsonist. Yeah, right. You know, uh, I know there's uh, in, the, in the summer period, the uh, arson explosive squad keep... Uh, They've identified their, their arson suspects and they keep them under surveillance for that particular period because they know okay. they're going to offend because that's a different push in relation to them offending. Why they why, why does an arsonist uh, set fire? There's different um, reasons for that. And so these are people who could potentially start bushfires. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And, uh, okay. you know, and how significant it is, you look at Black Saturday. So yeah. um, it, it's we're using those tactics and uh, being able to say, you know what, this is happening, or is this guy? How many is this guy? How many murders is this guy for? You look at uh, Dupas, for example. Yeah. You know he's he's currently doing full life imprisonment for three murders. Yeah. Uh, but he's uh, you know he's a suspect in a number of other murders. They just can't prove it, and uh, yeah, on it goes. Well, I actually met Nicole Patterson two weeks before he murdered her. Oh. I was working at a brothel in um, Caulfield South. I was a receptionist. 
And the lady who owned this brothel was a beautiful lady and she used to have staff meetings, believe it or not, for the girls. Mm. And she oftentimes would invite speakers and she invited Nicole to come and talk about self-care and yeah, yeah. Um, self-esteem and stuff like that. Nicole gave everyone their cards and her cards and then they were trying to phone her and couldn't get a hold of her mm. and she'd be mm. murdered. So, That's right. I mean, it... Even in my little tiny world, that a serial killer, you know, affected, uh, killed someone I had met. That's a yeah. strange feeling. Well, that's right. Uh, what uh, is the feeling when you're sitting, sitting with someone in a tiny room and you're asking them about their crimes? Yeah, well, th- that's the whole thing because you know you've got to keep your composure and you've got to do everything by the book because if you don't, I never want to be the person responsible to say to the family, geez, why was he acquitted, Charlie? Well, look, he was acquitted because I sort of bent the rules a bit. I don't want to be responsible for that. So all you can do is, you, because your experience tells you, you've got to go there and do it. You know, when we did uh, Paul Charles Denyer down at Frankston, yes. he murdered those three women down there. Um, and to sit in that room, and, and you know this guy uh, is not normal. And uh, like a, n- a normal person, you know, he's telling us he had the urge to kill since he was a, a 15 or 16 and that type of thing. And then he then to abduct these three beautiful ladies and, and do it just randomly off the street. Um, and to sit there with, with, uh, with uh, him in that room and, but basically, you need that admission. He made then full admissions of, of saying he killed the three of them. You know, the hardest thing, uh, not that I've interviewed many pedophiles, same thing. You sit there with a pedophile, there's a certain way you need to interview a pedophile. Um, you've really got to be very sympathetic in this type of thing because your end goal is, you know, you're going to get that admission and get the evidence. And then, then you can say, you know what, in, in years to come, you know, I'm going to get the court and you're going to get imprisonment. That's going to be my reward, all this Bold it, you bottle, bottle, bottle it in, and you don't, uh, you know, show your emotions. You can go out of the room, punch the wall, get get that frustration there, but you come back cool, calm, and collected because you know the, the end of the day, I want to prove it against this guy. I want to charge him with his particular offences, and the reward will come when he's convicted and sentenced to a life a period of imprisonment. Do you? learn that or is that you naturally when you talk about sitting in a room with a pedophile um i sort of get a physical reaction in my throat mm, and i feel mm. like i can i picture myself wanting to just smash his head against the wall a thousand times like just do you learn how to keep you cool in that situation yeah, i think or it's is that you naturally i think it becomes natural and because and you, you can see investigators and what type they are and where they can control their emotions and, and know the the end result so basically it comes from experience is having a senior person there to be able to guide them because you've probably worked on a case for months and months and months and then ultimately, you know, you, you've got the, the quarry at the end of it all and that's, a, that's a, the great realisation. Then your next step is how are we going to prove it? You know, do we arrest him now? You look, if you look at a whole series of tactics, um, you're looking at listening devices, telephone intercepts, all this type of thing to prove it beyond reasonable doubt. And you can't uh, jeopardise all that. You can't, you can't. Yeah. And, and, and there is no time limit. So you, you do as best you can and present the best case. But unfortunately, the next slap in the face is you present such a good case and such a strong case that the solicitor or barrister looks at it and says, you know what, Harry, this is an airtight case. Let's plead guilty. Mm. And because the case is so strong, they plead guilty, they must get a discount in their sentencing at court. So you're going to say, well, that's rubbish. You're going to say, well, no, because the police have done such a great job. Yeah. Why should you get a discount? You're, you're, uh, you're, uh, you know, pleading guilty to it. But then the justice system looks at it and say, well, you've saved all the government all this money for not going to trial. You've saved the witnesses giving evidence. Well, a whole lot of rubbish. A lot of witnesses and and family and victims want to give evidence. They want people to know what this mongrel did to their family or or their loved one, Mm. but they never get that opportunity. And there's other denyers walking around the streets. That's the other fearful thing. And I say to people, you know, you've got to be very mindful of your surroundings. You've got to look, we got to look after each other, look after our safety. The world has changed dramatically. You know, we're looking at these carjackings at the moment, this type of thing. It's Well, we were just talking in the office about the Apex gang. Yeah, the Apex gang, yeah. Um, operating here in Melbourne. And mm. um, a friend of a, someone who works here had their home invaded recently and was just woken in the middle of the night by yeah. smashing and men standing in their lounge room downstairs with machetes saying, Give us your keys. Give yep, us everything. That's right. That's yeah. unbelievable. It's, it, it's scary stuff. Yeah. You know, where have we come? You, you you look at this years ago, we were nowhere near that. You know, we'd probably sleep with our, our doors and windows open. Yeah. But the whole thing is we, we, we've got this, this element in our community that, that they don't care about authority. You know, we've got a lot of immigrants coming in that come from war-torn countries. And authority means nothing. Well, what can you do to me? I've been coming from a war zone. 
And uh, the police are saying, yes, sir, no, sir, thank you, sir, and all this type of thing. So that fear factor is gone. So what can you do to me? And they're happy to do it. You know, I spoke to someone this morning about that they do it in broad daylight and they'll do it and they'll even go back to, to the same scene and do it because they know that the police uh, aren't going to be there. They know about the pursuit policy. They know about these things. They're happy to take the authority on, front on, and say, well, come on, if you're good enough. And then they, if they've been through the court system, they'll say, well, you know, and people as frustrated as anybody else will say, well, you know, we had a drug, a drug problem was on ice and, this, and the sympathy of the court then goes down the track. Well, you know, at the end of the day, no one helps a poor old victim. You know, you, you know, how many witnesses have I had and families have said, Charlie, well, look, uh, do I have to give evidence in court? Well, I'm afraid you do. You know, the accuser's got to face the accused. Uh, so ultimately... Uh, you've got to stand, well, what's, he's going to know where I'm, I live. Will you have a police patrol car out the front? No, we can't. Oh, so the fearful thing of being able to protect the community yeah. and even the systems of, of, you know, witnesses coming along to give evidence, you know, they're treated, they're treated poorly in relation to they sit in the cold corridor of the Supreme Court, you know, there's, no, there's, there's a bit of support for them, but, you know, they've just got to be there to give evidence because we're only as good as our witnesses and only good as our our, our uh, evidence of what we've got against these people. And we can't do it on our own. And we've got to, you know, the amount of public pleas that I've done over the years, we need the pl- public to help us. Crime Stoppers was put in for that reason. Uh, we've got to get the good people to stand up against these bad people. But unless it affects you directly, people are a bit complacent about it and say, you know what, I don't want to get involved. And I just say to people, look, you don't have to make a statement. But if I don't have you, you know, if that was your daughter or your son that was actually assaulted, you know, and we had no other evidence except for, for someone like you, what would you do? We need someone to stand up and be able to say, you know what, I'm sick and tired of this. We've got to stand up against these bad guys. Mm. Well, what I say, it's my personal opinion, is, you know, he's a plumber, he's a carpenter, he, he's a technician of some sort, and he's a criminal. Okay. You've got career criminals. And you can't rehabilitate career criminals. For my saying, if I had a say in it, they'll say, okay, someone breaches parole, they should say automatically, okay, you've, you've taken, you've, you've breached that right to have parole, well, no more parole for you. Next time you offend, you'll get the sentence and there'll be no parole. What happens when you put a prude and a porn star in the same room? How was your day? Yeah, okay, but my boss was really writing me. (laughs) Me too. No, I didn't mean it like that. Why do you have to make everything about sex? Mamma Mia's newest podcast is all about sex and relationships. It's all the questions that you want to know but have been too afraid to ask. The Prude and the Porn Star. Coming soon to Mamma Mia. Subscribe in the iTunes. Coming up shortly, we'll we'll take a stroll down memory lane with Charlie. We'll talk about some of the biggest cases that he investigated as part of the Homicide Squad in Melbourne. But next, let's discuss his new job. This is fascinating. Charlie has very recently been named the new Senior Integrity Advisor for Greyhound Racing Victoria. You may or may not be aware that the industry went through a big scandal recently about animal cruelty. So this is a, a big job. It's the same deal. No matter what crook you're chasing, it's the cheats in the industry and that type of thing. It's, you know, you, you want to be part of the solution. And, and I'm in the same boat, you know, trying to get our participants and say, well, look, you can be critical of me and say, well, geez, these, these fellows at Greyhound Racing are doing, they're doing nothing, they're doing this. Well, hang on a minute. You're out there. You're on the inside. I'm on the outside looking in. I need you from the inside looking out to help me. I, I, as an animal lover, I'm yeah. stoked that yeah. you're working for Greyhound Victoria. Mm. When I read that, I, I couldn't believe it. I thought, now that's taking it seriously. You've hired a former homicide copper yep. to come and help you clean up yep. the animal cruelty cases. That's serious. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're not mucking around. And see, we've got nah. De- Des Gleeson on our books. Yeah. Uh, he's an ex-chief steward from the uh, Thoroughbreds. And, uh, you know, I've built up the unit from uh, – there was there was one investigator there. Mm. Uh, and now I've got five investigators. We've got two uh, senior uh, uh, intelligence analysts. We've got two solicitors. Mm. Um, and we're going full full blazing ahead and, and delivering that message to say, well, you know, we're, we're going to take you on. Mm. And because the majority of the uh, Greyhound participants out there are really good people. Yeah. And that's who you're fighting for. Yeah. Sure, we've got a credibility issue from our past. Yeah. But all I say to people is – Give us a chance. Let us prove ourselves and I'll deliver. 
Oh, I um, think your I think yeah. your joining is is a massive step in the right direction, and from a public perspective as well. Mm, Certainly, mm. when you walked into the radio station with your folder, and you you still look every bit the homicide detective to yeah. me. You've got a real power, a very powerful persona about you. So if you showed up at my dog, you know, breeding facility, I would take it very seriously. <laughs> in your book, you also wrote about an RSPCA inspector. Yeah, I did that. Who um, was murdered. Yeah. He, he went checking on a case of, of animal cruelty yep. with a guy who had horses. Mm, mm. So, I mean, there's just an example of how there's a lot of money tied up in these industries and a lot of uh, people take this stuff yeah. really seriously. Absolutely. Absolutely. With the, and, and, you know, as much as what we do, but... You know, if we're going to take, and I'll be looking at taking away their their, their livelihood. And the ones that, you know, the main issue yeah. for us is the moment a lot of them are pumping drugs into dogs. We've got arsenic, we've got cobalt, we've got we've got amphetamines, methamphetamines, uh, all these other uh, bodybuilding stuff that they pump into dogs. And they're the ones, and, and the ones that actually use prohibited drugs. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Then I'm going to get to a stage where I'll be just saying, okay, you've done your license, my friend. You'll no longer be a, a, a greyhound race owner because you've breached it five, four or five times. I'm not going to let it go that far. Mm. They never had that big stick. And then, and then the good people are saying, you know what, that's fantastic to see. Mm. Uh, yeah, definitely. And, and that's our issue. You know, we're, we're getting a lot, lot more positives, but of uh, of drug positives, and we should be high high swabbing on low positives. But these people, and it's um, a full onus on them to say, well, had that drug, you know, it's amazing what they come up with. So had that, uh, you know, uh, cocaine or the, the that particular derivative in, in your dog. Oh, it ate poppy seeds off a bun. <laughs> oh yeah, well, had the arsenic get into your into your dog. Oh, it was lick, licking a a uh, the treated pine post on the thing. Yeah. And these excuses come up all the time. You say, you know what? Here you go. You serve a paper on them and say, tell it to the board and uh, and just get them out of the industry. We don't want them. To me, and I, I might be drawing a very long bow here, but it seems like there might be similarities between that and, say, the under, underworld war in Melbourne yeah. in that people would be very afraid to speak out against That's, others, wouldn't yeah, they? Yeah, and I don't, I don't hold that against them. Yeah. But the, the whole thing is that it's, it's a personal choice of where you want to be, what do you want to do. Do you want to be part of the yeah. solution? Don't, you can sit back and be critical and say, you know, why, why haven't the police solved this? And that's still unsolved. We live in fear. But, you know, there's more good people out there than bad people. And uh, strength in numbers, like the 30,000 at Marford Jill Mar, what a great effort that was. You know, we need those 30,000 to go to to Andrews and say, well, look, mate, this is just not on. Mm. What are you going to do to make our streets a lot safer? And this type of thing, because they're they're looking at votes. They are. But, I mean, when Jason Moran gets shot and murdered in Auskick Saturday morning, I mean, it's hard to consider that you would ever stand up and say, I saw something. Like, I agree. Yeah. I had one, same God. with uh, Alphonse Gantatano when I did yeah. that, that investigation of his murder. Yeah. And I had a witness in the street who didn't know who they were. He actually, he identifies Jason Moran as walking down the street and wow. he was the one who was, as far as I was concerned, never convicted him, but he was the offender. And uh, when he found out, he was a 21 year old kid basically. And he found out it's, it's the underworld that he was dealing with. And I had to support him all the way and I tried to work out things and say to, to certain magistrates, look, does he have to be in the witness box? Can I have him behind a curtain? Can I protect his identity? But the system says, no, you've got to, you know, the accuser got to face his accuser. So, you know, there is a fear factor there. And, and did he? Did that guy? 
Yeah, he gave evidence, but he gave evidence at the uh, at the um, at uh, at the inquest because I fell short of being able to charge Jason Moran for that murder. Yeah. Because I had a had a witness, and these are again the, when I do the talks of frustration cases you, you had, you know, I I, uh, I knew where Jason had thrown the gun in the arrow over the Westgate Bridge. We put divers in there. I had the person actually dro- the person actually drove Jason to Alphonse's house. He gave me a, a statement to say, yep, I drove Jason there, and that was uh, Alphonse's house. And I was just about to charge him, and then he committed suicide and all this stuff. And it's just amazing, all of a sudden, one frustration after the other. Yeah. And at uh, the end of the day, uh, you know, where he met his maker in the Underworld Murders, and you move on to the next one. It's the same as the RSPCA one. Like, you know, he, that guy was acquitted, uh, yeah. and Lenny Squire, and Stuart Fairley was the deceased. And no, there's no issues. He was the offender. Yeah. 100% circumstantial case. Um, the jury come back with its second jury. The first time was a hung jury. Second jury was an acquittal. And when I did David Hooks, same thing. You know, you say to yourself, goodness me, I, I couldn't have got the evidence any better. But what happens in that jury room? Who knows? Between 12 strangers, they've got to come up with one decision. It's got to be unanimous. And that's the hardest thing. And you know, people say, well, should we have the death penalty back? And if we ever had the death penalty, we'd never get a conviction. It is a complex uh, whole system of justice, very, very complex. And it's a multi, multi-billion dollar uh, industry. Or industry because yeah. imagine, let's take crime away from our society. Mm. How much people will be out of work? So, <laughs> so I don't want to think that way, but it, it's just massive. It's massive. Do you ever solve crimes as an amateur? Do you ever watch those documentaries making a murder as huge around the world these days? Oh, or yeah. any of those and jump online and... You know, put the puzzle together. Oh, yeah, I don't mind. There's certain ones I don't, I don't mind watching. So, well, since I left, I, I become a private investigator. Oh, okay. Uh, I started doing a bit of private investigation work before I, I got headhunted for greyhound racing, and yeah. and the same deal because you know when I uh, when I made the decision to leave, I say, geez, what can I do? I've been a copper since I was seventeen, and coppers sell themselves short. Yeah, because we are great people, person, great people, people. Exactly, yeah. to deal with them because we deal with so many different range of them. Yeah. And we, and selling, you say, you know what? You know, I can deal with things. I can make decisions. You know, we've all got, you know, you've got that presence about you, you know. Mm-hmm. And how many often they say, geez, he looks like a copper. Mm-hmm. It's how they stand and you never lose it. There's hypervigilance. You know, yeah. 38 years of, of hypervigilant dealing with it and you never lose that as coppers. No. I walk into a restaurant. I walk somewhere. My eyes are going left, right and centre. You walk into a and restaurant. it feels like it's very intellectual. It's not emotional. That's right. Yeah. And it's automatic. Yeah. You know, my wife will say, I'll say to her, look, look at that chap over there. Just be mindful of him. She'll go, where? What? Where? She said, you're amazing. But that's what you're trained to do. It's, mm. it, you don't do it thinking. You know, you walk into a restaurant, you scan it. And where are you going to sit? You sit in a place... You know, and the amount of different murders that I've investigated, you know, people say, guys, just sitting in, a, in an open area, in a public area, sitting on a train and they're stabbed to death in the middle of the afternoon. You know, and that's why I say to people, for goodness sake, tell your children, if yourselves, you be mindful of your surroundings. And you're going to know, you don't have to be a copper. The sixth sense going to tell you more than so women. You know, where they're going to say, you know what, something's not right about that person. And all you got to do is ring triple A. And just say, mate, I'm, I'm just letting you know there's a guy hanging out my street. He's up to no good. Well, what do you say that? And they'll pick your brain to say, well, I'm just telling you. I know this person's up to no good. His way he's looking, his body language. Let the police be the judges. You're Make making that... me think about the um, that guy Paul Onions, that British man who phoned from England to say, um, well, I was backpacking around mm. Sydney, and a weird guy picked me up, and kind of, and that cracked open the Ivan Malak case. That's right. right. Absolutely, yeah. and he's one that survived, got away from yeah. it. Everybody said, "Oh, well." Years it was just... later, he rang about exactly, that. and it's but it's something that stays with you. It was so would have been so frightening, and that's all it takes. And I think there's been a couple of other issues, cases of that, and everything fell into place. And same as you know uh, the major campaign we had with Mr. Cruel, for example. You know, with well, Carmen that was Chan. in the news again recently yep. because uh, there's is it a million dollar million dollar yep. yep offered for that. Now Carmen Chan was a little girl who was abducted from her home, yep, um, and. Her body was found a year later. Thomas Down, yeah. yeah. And people say, well, you know, there's a sex offender. Why would he kill, you know, Carmen Chan? And, and not the other girl. Exactly. And uh, ultimately she must have seen his his, uh, his face of some sort. She had some incriminating evidence against him because he was so careful what he did with the, with the girls and what, before he released them. Oh. And, you know, as a pedophile, he's, he's not just going to stop. That's what I'm wondering because in my <clears throat> fantasy world, I thought maybe he's one of those guys the police are watching all the time and so he doesn't have a chance to offend. 
why do you think he stopped? Well, there's either there's a, there's a number of reasons that I put. He's either in jail, yes. some other offences, uh-huh. he's deceased, or he's overseas. Okay. They're not just going to stop. Yeah. You know, the planning that he put into breaking into, into places, um, he, you know, he was methodical. And, and then uh, of, of what he did to the girls prior to making him release, you know, took their clothes off them and put them in a plastic bag and that type of thing. Yes. And I'm very, very methodical. And because they're, they're driven in that way, they just won't say, right, that's it. I'm, I'm better now. I'm not going to do it anymore. Yes. Unlikely. In, yeah. in our imaginations, murderers are people like, you know, Jason Moran, mm. thugs, terrifying, yeah, violent yeah, people. Yeah, passes, yeah. Yeah, right? Violent, scary people. But lots of other people become murderers. Yeah. Well, people have asked me that before. And uh, ultimately, we've all got the urge that we could kill. Every person has got the ability to kill someone, yeah. but but the, the reasoning in your mind, you know, it's a lot of times it's it's that it's that probably the click in your mind. You might find yourself in a circumstance situation where you, you react without thinking. You might grab a knife or that something is handy. All of a sudden you sip and you'd be the most law-abiding citizen in the world, but they just ticked your buttons and you clicked off and said, "I've been able to walk away." So. It's what's what happens in our own minds. You know, you could have been under under a lot of pressure. You've got work issues. You've got major issues at home. All of a sudden, this happens or that happens, and you just might snap. Who knows? Or someone just disliked at work, or and then that's where you start saying, "Well, you know, when I worked on um, you know, other times when I worked on uh, Sarah McDermott, for example, the woman who was abducted from Cadnock Railway Station, yes. all those years ago." So you got to say, and that's unsolved. That is an unbelievable case. That's the kind of case that has all of our parents saying, I see, yeah. I told you, right? <laughs> Walking in a dark car yeah, park yeah, in yeah. the middle of the night to your car. Yeah. Never seen or heard of again. And still, I mean, you found the perpetrator, right? But never her remains. No, no, never changed. You've, never you've cha- never, unsolved. It's no. still unsolved. Yeah, Do you never know found, who did it though, really? No, no, no idea. It's just one of those weird ones. And, you know, I made a, a, a passionate plea in the media. I said, look. I don't care if I get an anonymous phone call. Just tell me where the body is. Yes, right. With the family. Yeah. <clears throat> Every year the family go to the car park and there's a little plaque there. Because that's where all, else? They've got nothing else. Where else? And that's you... what really hurts. Yeah. It really hurts. You know, to say, look, you know, we've had some uh, recent discoveries in mine shafts with bodies and the likes and it's fantastic. Yeah. And realistically, finding the offender is secondary to finding uh, remains. That's yeah. number one is finding the remains of the loved one. So they've got someone to go, somewhere to go and, and lay them at rest. It's, it's, uh, it's then the offender comes next. Let's, if, if you haven't got a body, I'm driven to find the body first and then uh, let's charge someone down the track. So, <clears throat> But there was a very incidence on that about why would someone take the body away after she was assaulted in the car park. And then all these tactics cards start playing in your mind. You'd go home, you wouldn't be sleeping a lot no. because you'd be working. What's the next tactics? What haven't I done? What should I be doing? What's my next step? Where should I be going from this point of view? You know what? Let's try this tactic. Let's try that tactic. And when it comes to fruition <clears throat> and you've got a guy, so what and happens, it drives you. Like in real terms, I mean, it's a year after, it's two years after. Do the family phone you intermittently to say, is, has anything popped up here? Yeah, some do, but but you tell them, and they know they've got that confidence in you to say, "Look, if anything happens, of course, you'll you're not going to read about it in the newspaper, yeah, Mary. Yeah. I'll be t- ringing you. I don't care what time of the morning it is. I'll be ringing you because that's for that. You know, they'll be jumping at every phone call. That, that little grasp, that little thread that they can grab, and and they know. Well, if Charlie hasn't rang, they've got nothing. Why should I be ringing them every five minutes? But you know, because you get that many homicide investigations to do, you do lose touch over a period of time. It's not from from neglect or anything. It's just a matter of you're so focused with your next your next job, and 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 that's what drives you when you get an acquittal. For example, you really can't mull and let it affect you uh, because ultimately you move on to the next case and you get distracted by the next case. But you never forget the old ones and the cases you've you've done in the past and. You know, I've gone to different functions and people say, well, you know, well, you investigated my daughter's murder. And I said, oh, and you can't remember them and that type of stuff. But that's the impact because that's, I'm doing homicides virtually every day of the week. Um, and this is the most major thing that's happened in their life ever. Of course, ever. of course. And that's why they recall it. And, and I used to apologize to them before even when I was sitting in the lounge room with them after all the hours and say, look, if you do ring me, please forgive me if I don't recall who you are because of the volume of people you're dealing with. Because people are perceptive by what's on TV, you're dealing with one case. Yeah. And I say to them, look, because I don't know, and you're dealing that uh, uh, also on the balance of the offender's family. 
you know, we support defenders' family also, not just deceased families. Because right. imagine me coming to your house and saying, oh, Michelle, we've just charged your um, sibling or your sister or whatever for a murder. All of a sudden, bang, you're smashed out of the world. And you say, what the hell? Yeah. So we're not going to walk away from you and say, really? well, no, we don't walk away from you, not at all. Wow. If offenders' families say, you know what, Charlie, go take a fly and hike. Mm. I don't want to see the backyard. I'll see you in court. I don't want to. No worries. Yeah. But we'll support offenders' families as much as we support deceased families. Because yeah. they, you know, they've got someone who's been charged with murder. They're in jail because once we uh, charge them with murder, it's only the Supreme Court can give them bail. So ultimately, it's the biggest thing in their life. So you're balancing these two families. It seems like increasingly it, it's the same family that the perpetrator and the victim belong to as well. Are yeah. there more domestic violence related murders now or do, are we just really conscious of it now? Are you conscious of it now? When, right. we, when I, uh, you know, in the 70s before I got to the homicide squad, you know, um, and this is not belittling it at all, uh, but, you know, we were within police jargon uh, and, you know, police got a bit of black humour. We used to be called the heavy, heavy domestic squad because most wow. of your murders were, were in the domestic. Mum killed dad, dad killed mum, whatever the case may be. It wasn't until we got that criminal element involved with the underworld and that type of thing, we, you know, we wouldn't have heard of underworld murders all those years ago, now where we are. So you're still going to get that peppering of some family member in, in, in the murder involved. So that's why you look at the most obvious first and eliminate them. You know, uh, well, I'm know. looking at the society murders, as they were called, that you yeah. you worked on. That that's was right. The, um, the, the Matthew, the son. Yeah, the Wales King murders, yeah. where the parents were wrapped in glad wrap in the garage or something. No, no, they were in the front uh, front uh, front yard, covered with a uh, a uh, swimming pool tarpaulin. Did you find them? No, I didn't find them um, because he'd already. Uh, I f- well, we found them because we f- they were buried at Marysville. Yes, up near Marysville. So I happened to be the person on call. My team were on call, and they said some uh, rangers had found what they thought was a live bird uh, mound. So I went up there with the forensic people, and uh, you know, as soon as we uh, we, we uh, excavated a bit of the grave, and then uh, as soon as we found a second body, we said, right, Miles King for sure. So we left left everything in situ where we went. Um, and we assisted the missing persons unit and, uh, you know, and still remember when they arrested, uh, you know, Matthew, he just said, I, I didn't uh, do it for the money. I just hated her, hated his mum. You know, and little things about, you know, uh, uh, in the, uh, in the grave that she was, the mum was on the bottom and, and the stepfather he liked, but, uh, he was just collateral damage. God. So, that's br- literally yeah. breathtaking yeah. to me that he said that. Yeah, and that's just the way people are dealing with, you know. And you meet them all. Yeah, you do. And, uh, you know, you never, you never get surprised with the people you deal with. In 1998, Gary Silk and Rodney Miller were murdered. They were police mm. here in Melbourne. Uh, well, I was in the office at the time when it happened about midnight. And then that's when they, uh, my, my inspector came and said, look, Charlie, there's uh, two police being shot dead up at uh, Moorabbin, or two have been shot at least. And... Uh, I went straight to the scene, and uh, whilst the suspects were the people responsible for all the armed robberies, that's who they were targeting. Mm-hmm. That was a primary focus, in there, but they had no idea. But the painstaking investigation with that, of of getting all their Hyundai's checked, you know, they had a team of the detect- two detectives go to Korea and go through all the uh, all the uh, Hyundai uh, because the glass had been shot out and it belonged to a particular Hyundai, and they knew that. So. Wow. You know, and that's where they—that's the nth degree you taught. Not because they're police; they would do it for anybody yeah. in relation to a double murder like that. Um, it's the same same standard that they went to that nth degree. When you've got nothing else, you just got to go down the next path. And where can we go from here? Where can we go from here? And painstaking stuff. You and your homicide mates, the the blokes who were working with you, the other senior detectives, and you all left at once. If you, if I were to take you all out for dinner, and sit very quietly in a corner and listen to you talk, <laughs> would I be hearing incredible stories of, oh, yeah. of crime solving? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we'll have to tame the book down a bit, of course. But um, but you'd be going, remember that yeah, 83? Coppers that- get together. I'll tell you what, coppers get together and we tell worries all the time. Oh, you sit there and, you t- you know, at dinner day, you sit there, you be telling worries. And, and between the five of us, of all the different ones we've had, you know, we, we farewelled uh, a colleague of mine last week, Jeff Maher, and... You know, uh, and the stories uh, he, you know, it, that was just said at his send off, because wow. um, he did Black Saturday and he did uh, the Salt Night Club where we had a people. Uh, oh yeah, of course. You know, they remember yeah. that one into the Yarra River with yeah. a samurai sword. Oh my We've god! Got, and he's the one that charged uh, Dupass, and 
you know, the other stories of missing kids. We've got the Murray uh, toddler, Jaden Lesky, and all that type of stuff. And all of a sudden, the pig's head gang. Yeah, that's right. And My that, God. Yeah. And uh, all these things sort of come up, and and then you can sit there, and it's just like you sit there, you know, be, you be looking around it because oh, you know, and, and, name the restaurant, name <laughs> the day. I will pay for everything. Uh, what I wouldn't give. Would you ever let a civilian, a rando, sit in the corner? Yeah, or? probably be uncomfortable because you might, you don't know where it's going, especially <laughs> someone like you in the media. <laughs> That's the problem. It's just for my sick female crime obsessed mind. Oh, no, all's good, mate. All's good. You have to wait for the next book. Oh, Jesus, please. When is the next book? Oh, no, not for a while. Yeah, I don't know. Well, what about the other boys? Did any of the others go, oh, this is bullshit, Charlie? I should write a book. I think there's a couple who got their uh, book in their in their minds. I haven't seen one yet, but I think uh, there's a couple that, that have been toying with it. And, and the beauty of it is, with, because you're a local product, you can relate to the cases. Oh, God, it's, yeah. It's unlike reading an uh, American yeah. one. It's like, because I do a bit of corporate speaking, I'm doing one again tonight, and, you know, um, uh, and they'll just want to hear about the story. Oh, yeah, Alphonse, that's right. I remember that. And just like we have today. Yeah. Oh, I remember that. I remember Dupas. Oh, yeah, and Jill Ma. Oh, yeah, remember that. Yeah. And you can relate to it because you lived it. Definitely. You know, and then you say, it's not like talking about Dillinger or Capone or something. Yeah, in that's America. right. Not ownership, but that relationship. Mm. That you have and say, you know what, it could have been me, it could have been someone I like you said that that, that person was I mean, sure, you work with. I mean, it was just so strange that that's the randomness of that of that kind of random murder. Is yeah. that there's just this young woman in Melbourne going about her business yep, who had right. an ad answered by Peter Dupas. Yep, it's the same as it's unbelievable. The, you know the the one with um, the Burwood triple killer that we did. Um, I think his name that was went to that crime scene. It was the most horrific crime scenes that I went to. It was two women uh, and a bloke uh, bound and shot to the back of the head. And uh, and he, he just answered an ad in the paper. They have, they put an ad in the paper for a room to rent. And uh, he um, he answered the, the ad in the paper. He went there. He controlled them all, shot them back of the head, the whole three of them. He got convicted for that, never said a word. And uh, that was all matched up. He then, he then abducted, it was about the... Um, uh, arm robbery of two one at, at the botanical gardens, mm. and uh, he got caught, matched up the firearm to the three deceased, and the rest is history. Amazing. So, you know, it's a matter of. How you know, you, I don't know how you sleep at night, only because of the clues and the things that must be running through your brain all the time. I mean, we've established that you are very good at setting boundaries for yourself and saying, it seems to me, saying, switch it off. This is family time or this is bedtime or this is yeah. whatever time yeah. now. Yeah, but you still worry, you know. Yeah. As all parents do, worry about their kids. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, my, mine are adults now. I've got the uh, five grandkids and <laughs> you worry about them and, you know, you say, well, but, you know, you bring them up in your own environment, your own values, and you can sit back and say, you know what, I've achieved that. And, and the rest is when they go start nightclubbing and uh, going, you're, up, you're worried till they actually come home and this type of thing. And ultimately, you never stop that. Charlie Bazina, who has written a book about his life as a policeman. It's called The Job. You should read it. It is so excellent. Uh, I have to give a shout-out to the person who made the music that we've listened to during this podcast. His name is L. Fresh the Lion. Isn't that the best name you've ever heard for anything? L. Fresh the Lion. He is an Australian hip-hop artist. He will be podcasting with me in coming weeks, and I can't wait to meet him. Feel free to get onto me on Facebook as long as you're not crazy and abusive and tell me uh, what you think of the podcast and who else you'd like to hear podcast. If you really hate the podcast, just don't listen, brother. You know, don't feel like you have to listen and think of all the ways you hate it and then tell me about them on Facebook. Just go and do something else. Also, if you do love it, please go to iTunes and leave us a nice review. Thank you. Bless you. See you soon. Have a good one. Take care of yourselves and others and all that jazz. Bye. So we need it to survive. Where are you going? Say, where are you going? 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 Where
feel so bitter. I grit my teeth and dig deep. With so many questions on my mind, I miss sleep, but never lose sight of my dreams. I keep my faith close to my heart, so the lights are high beam. I raise my fist to the sky, about as high as can be. Send a prayer out to all of my lions and queens. I bow my head to the good that raised me. And pay respect to the saints, cause your wisdom aids me. We went from fighting with words to fighting with swords, then surviving at times, and now we're fighting with minds. I feel the winds of change, and it tends to amaze me. Coming to terms with me means you can never change me. It ain't easy, but when you search, you'll find that everything tends to pass like time, and so we survive. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.